0: Okay, so welcome back to the Pilipinix American Stories podcast. I am your host, Alfredo. Here at the podcast, we are here to better understand aspects of the Pilipinix American diaspora uh, with topics including but not limited to community history and Pilipinix American culture. And today, we have a very special guest. This woman has been writing for I don't even know how long now. She has hundreds of publications out, ranging from chapter books to journal entries. And she also has a book, entitled uh, Letters to a Young Brown Girl coming out September 26th. We have Barbara uh, Barbara Jane Reyes. Barbara, how are you doing?
1: I'm good.
0: Okay, so the first question I wanted to ask you is, you've been writing for a while now, but how did you get your start um, in writing?
1: Well, um, I think that a lot of us grew up with storytellers in our homes, our elders. You know, the folks who were teaching us our old folk songs, folk tales, our mythologies, right? you know, the folks who would tell us about what life was like back in the day or what life was like in the Philippines. And um, they would do this at the kitchen table. You know, I grew up with my grandmother just kind of telling me stories when I was home with her and we'd just be at the kitchen table um, or while we were gathered around not really the fire, but like the barbecue pit, uh, places where, you know, our family would break bread together, or we would just be drinking San Miguel beer together. So it was in places like that, that I learned to ask my elders to tell us stories, you know, tell us about the time that you did this or, you know, whatever, tell us that story again. And so I really, I'm glad I made it a point to listen. So when I actually started writing, when I learned that I was pretty good at writing, I realized that these were the stories that I wanted to tell or put in my poetry um, because poetry was the thing that I found I was best at. There was something about, just working with these lines or these smaller units where you could just do so much in such a small amount of space. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that for a very long time. Um, I didn't take an actual creative writing class until I was probably almost 30, um, you know, ju- and it just, blew me wide open, just that, you know, that there was space to be able to learn technique and that um, you could, uh, you know, have communities give you feedback on what what were your strengths and what you could work on. And um, yeah, I really thrived in that kind of space. So just for as long as I know, I went from just being a hearer of stories to an asker of stories to a teller of stories.
0: I, I really love that you brought up the the aspect of um, Filipino storytelling because that is such an innate thing that we don't really realize until we actually start like reflecting back on it, like you just did. Like you started like hearing all those stories at a very young age, and now you're at this point where you're putting out those stories, and it's like it's also pretty wild because you said that um, you didn't start taking like creative writing classes until like thirty, and it's just like that's when it started, is that when it really started like blowing up for you in a sense?
1: Kind of, yeah. I mean, prior to that, I was, you know, writing, um, writing some poems and, you know, getting published in places like Maganda Magazine at UC Berkeley. And, you know, locally, I was doing a lot of spoken word events in the Bay Area. And then I just kind of hit a wall. I didn't really like know what to do next with my writing. And so that one creative writing class I took, which was at a junior call, co- a community college, it was, uh, Berkeley City College. Um, yeah, I think that's when it blew up and I was, uh, I was able to kind of do different things that I hadn't thought about before. And, uh, you know and i'd always had uh, mentors you know folks like nick carbo and Eileen tabios who were so generous and just like you know what you have already let's see more of that or uh they're going to edit an anthology wouldn't they like uh to include me in it they you know so it was always you know elders like that who were very very encouraging um but i guess i had to show them that this was something i was committed to you know and um yeah and they were very like Yeah, they pretty much just uh, opened the door and said, come on through. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it was after that class that I realized I can really do this and I can do it in a multitude of ways.
0: Mm, Okay, so when you're writing pieces or just like any kind of like any kind of writing piece or whatever, does it just come innately or do you like do you take time to brainstorm? Like what's your process like when you're putting together like um, a small or big project?
1: Um that's a good question. Uh multitude of ways. A lot of the time I uh when I used to actually journal a lot more regularly, you know, as a as a good daily habit, I could be sitting in a cafe or in a bar and just be free writing whatever. Um and it could be stuff that I was observing, it could have been stuff that I was overhearing people say in the streets and you know whatever. And uh, that would become my raw material. Sometimes I would find like, oh, well, that was a really interesting uh, thing that this person said, or that was a really interesting image that I just uh, saw. Um, And then, you know, I would grow something from that. I'd be able to take all that raw material and find the pieces that I wanted to work with, you know? Um, And that was really good for individual poems. Um, And then at some point um and it could be when i was in grad school where i started to think about like what is a bigger what would a bigger project look like um so these days the kinds of the ways that i like to get started is usually with questions i have questions about things i don't know and i want to find out and that becomes my prompt uh you know that that or my funnel or filter through which everything that I see and hear and read and consume passes through. And that's how I start trying to answer those questions. And sometimes there's just these big historical, what I think are unanswerable questions um, or super general, like why am I here as a Filipina in this place? Why am I viewed through a certain lens um, when I'm walking down the street or living my life? And, um, yeah. And then from there, like everything is just kind of coming through uh, that question. And that's how I'm putting it on the page. Um, and then lately, for my past three collections of poetry, I have been asking other penais questions um, or just kind of opening my my uh, well, my social media door, at least, and saying, like, what are the questions you folks have for me? You know, uh, as a Pinay, what do you want to find out for me? And um, I wrote my last three books that way, just answering their questions.
0: It, it almost sounds like um, your way of writing, especially for like those last three, it, it seemed like it was a huge community effort to put something like that together.
1: Yes, absolutely. And um, and I, I really have to, you know, thank all the Penais who you know, just open themselves up with these kinds of questions. I, um, I cannot take for granted how much they trusted me. You know, um, you don't give something up to somebody uh, unless you trust them. And so I had to, you know, honor them <laughs> and honor the places that what they needed to know we're coming from. But absolutely, you know, I've been kind of throwing around the term kapwa, poetics, right? Um, Just kind of as an extension of of, uh, family, this kind of we that we operate in all the time. That's how I have been approaching those kinds of works. And so I've been, you know, really doing my best to just shout out these pinais and, you know, thank them and, uh, and honor the places they're coming from.
0: I I am because you are. I love that phrase so much, and I've been loving it so much more now with how the community has been connected. And Mm -hmm. going on that topic is like is doing work with the community through writing. Is that a really big theme and how you put um put your projects together?
1: I think so. I think so because I um I realized that I didn't gain a. Lot of satisfaction, or there was an end point to the kind of satisfaction I would get just kind of writing in my own private space, you know, with things coming out of my head and you know just kind of having this discrete space that separated me from other people and um, so I feel like, you know if, if I want. It's both things, right? Like if I want the community in my work, then I have to go to the community. There's no other way about that. I I, I feel like as an artist, um, it I don't know, I, I don't like the idea of, you know, my coming up with something brilliant in my own little vacuum and then bestowing it upon the community for them to thank me for it. You know, I don't like... Uh, that kind of relationship. I want the kind of relationship with community where, you know, we're kind of in a dialogue, you know? So, yeah. And, and I don't know, I don't know that I would call it like community activism, but it's definitely work in community, right. Um, That we're all at the same level and we're all kind of working through this, you know, together.
0: It sounds very grassroots the way that you're putting it, like, you said that it's really important to get back into community to do these kind of projects. Like if it's community based or whatever, Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't be able to do, or would you be able to, do you think you'd be able to do that kind of work if it it didn't feel grassroots?
1: Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I would not be able to, and I like that you use the word grassroots, right. Um, You know, just here at the ground level where we're all at. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I don't like, um, yeah, I don't like the idea of just kind of, you know, from above kind of dictating the terms of, uh, you know, the terms of the work and saying like, um, you know, this is my own kind of singular individual effort. That's very Western. Right. Um, and of course we live in Western culture, but, um, you know, if I want to write about Filipino, things or Filipino American things, then I need to honor, you know, what is Filipino about me. And I think it goes back again to that, you know, that we, um, where we do like live our lives always kind of, you know, with consideration to one another, always consulting one another and, you know, kind of thinking in collective identity, right?
0: Mm, most definitely. And I wanted yeah. to shift back a little bit to sure. uh, what you said a while ago about how Pinai Poetry is like one of your biggest things. What is your personal definition of what Panay Poetry looks like?
1: OK, um, yeah, penai Poetry is a lot of things. I've been teaching penai Lit now for eight years, going on nine years, I think. And, uh, you know, I've cycled through a lot of different kinds of work and. Um, and I guess the one good definition I could come up with is the fact that pinai poetry is just so many things and there's no singular definition that I would want to impose upon anyone or everyone. Um, I think that the most important element of Pinai poetry is that a pinai has decided to speak. She's decided to commit her words to the page. She's decided to tell her own story in her own words. In her own languages, you know, and I don't hear just mean English and Tagalog or Taglish, Ilocano, Visayan, but you know, what is the language of her community? Is she from Oakland? Is she from San Francisco? Is she from Chicago, Omaha? Who knows, right? What is the language of her place? Um, and so she is doing it on her own terms. And when she decides to control her own narrative and speak out against patriarchal traditions, this is where i believe like the best of pinay poetry is born um yeah and and also i feel like um you know my definition of pinay poetry would also include recognizing our elders in the field or in 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 the tradition of the filipinas writing um you know, We don't have to go too, too far back if we look at folks like Jessica Hagedorn, for example, who first started performing and publishing in San Francisco, or Mila Aguilar, who wrote poetry while she was a political prisoner during martial law, or Alina Mabanglo, who writes Tagalog poetry from the point of view of Filipinas, diasporic Filipinas, or folks like Shirley Anchetta and Virginia Sereno, who wrote... Um, these Pinay voices in Northern California in a time when only Filipino men were recognized for their work, right? And for their presence. And so, you know, I feel like that kind of um, calling to calling to the elders, you know, is an important part of uh, Pinay poetry.
0: And it, it's such a strong, well, I mean, those, what, those people you mentioned, they have, like, I've read some of the work before and their work, their voices are so strong and it's just so like it's so powerful to see someone like that and it's really interesting to see how different but also how similar um writing is for different panayas throughout like different decades and everything mm-hmm. so just going on to your book and everything like uh going back to like the whole intersectionality uh portion of like community and everything i i like that you bring that up especially since you practice that heavily in your book because it's a it's a very bay area-esque uh, book there's a lot of like references and all that that i'm not from the bay area but yeah. it's just like i have a lot of friends that are out there right now or have like lived there and it's just i could tell that like this is very authentically your work
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a great compliment. (laughs) Um, Definitely, it's very local, right? It's like, um, I'm trying to think of some of the the spots that I bring up that are super Bay Area. um, But of course, all of it is escaping me now. Um, But yeah, I I feel like just, you know, being on a muni bus or on a BART train or something like that, you know, which could easily translate into, you know, a subway train in another city but there are definitely you know, elements of it that would take place nowhere but here. Or maybe it's just embedded in the language and I'm not fully conscious of it because that's just the language that I live and breathe in, you know?
0: I think that's totally fine because I feel like for the reader, it's, um, it helps them paint a picture of what you're trying to convey. And I feel like that's really important when it comes to writing. Absolutely. So, one of the other topics I want to talk about is um, liminality. So, what exactly is that? Or, like, when you learned that uh, word, what was the definition that was given to you?
1: Ah, okay. Well, um, I learned the term liminality in the very first intro to Asian American studies class that I took, or it was an Asian American history class that was taught by Ron Takaki at UC Berkeley back in 1989. And we were reading his book, Strangers from a Different Shore. And, um, he described liminality as, um, this state of being in between, right? Um, just in between it is, uh, you know it means to be on the threshold which typically means that you exit one thing you stand at the entryway of another thing and then you enter that other place however as a person coming from an immigrant community do you know do we ever truly exit our original cultural identities even if we have left unquote, the motherland. And, you know, many Filipinos were never even born in the Philippines. They're from here or they're from another place. And so, um, you know, we look back at like, what does our quote unquote home culture look like? And what are the cultures that we enter when we enter into the world? Right. But um, Professor Takaki also gave this great um, example of um, another Bay Area reference here, the great fire that happened in San Francisco after the earthquake when San Francisco Chinatown burnt to the ground, um, you know the reputation that Chinatown had before as this kind of, you know, place of depravity, prostitution, gambling dens, opium, whatever. You know, uh, the folks in that community said, "Let's rebuild and let's make something else." And they made it into, you know, the community that it eventually became today. Right, quote unquote, respectable and a destination. Um, and that was because they had uh, nothing but just um, the ability to create something new. Right, so that's how I learned the term liminality. And when I teach it to my students, um, you know, I basically tell them, right, um, here we are as, as Filipinos or folks from many places. And we are standing at the threshold of multiple identities um, living in this place of in-betweenness. But we also know that in that in-betweenness, whereas kind of the common perception of being quote-unquote stuck there is like, well, you're too much of this or you're not enough of that. How many times have we had our parents tell us we're too American, we're not Filipino enough. And then we enter into the mainstream where folks who represent the mainstream tell us that we're too foreign or we're alien and we don't belong here. Um, So rather than just kind of take it from a place of deficit, I always like to flip it around, no pun intended. And, you know, really just talk about like, how is this a place of creativity and innovation, right? We have this ability to take from our multiple places, right? And build a new identity or create new art or, create a new language in that space and we have the ability to enlarge this space. Right. Um, and then we should consider is, is our goal to leave our home cultures behind and to assimilate into a mainstream culture that doesn't want us or is our goal to, you know, to really kind of enlarge our, um, you know, a space where we belong and and are safe in. And, you know, so I guess that's that's my take on it. Um, What I really loved is that, you know, I I teach this every semester and then I did have one semester where uh, a group of my students, you know, just took it on and created this penile liminality website um, and, you know, do these workshops on penile liminality where they are talking about like the very, you know, the many places where our um, intersecting identities are like, um, they might be pushing up against one another, but this is how we kind of create something new uh, from that. Does that even make sense? What I just said? Oh my God. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to like process this right now, but it's like the way I'm seeing it is like, it's kind of like one foot in the door, one foot out. Like you, you even, you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said like you have like Filipino family. That's like, Oh, you're not Filipino enough. But then like you have your American side, like saying, Oh, you're too foreign for, yeah. for us or something like that. And yep. <laughs> I was going to ask how you apply it in like your life and everything, but it seems like it's, it's really inborn, but it doesn't seem like it was really brought up until you heard the term. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that like, um, When I, uh, you know, when I guess when I was made aware of that term and the kind of empowerment that you can, you know, you can experience being in that place, then it's really about, you know, looking again at the traditional power dynamic and saying, I'm not going to have that. Right. Uh, It's obviously a lot easier said than done. And then I realize and this comes a lot comes up a lot too, that I live in a place like the Bay Area where, um, to be liminal, to be multicultural, to be in a diverse place, you know, does give me a certain amount of safety, you know, to, to be, a you know, a professor in Filipino studies or to write Filipina centric work without feeling as though I have to compromise anything. You know, the fact that I'm here um, makes it possible. But what if I were somewhere else where there was nobody around me who understood where I came from, then that feeling of, of empowerment that one can um, one can derive from liminality, then probably isn't as easy to come by. So I, I um, you know, I, I hear a lot of um, philams from different other parts of the country, you know, talk about the kind of privilege that we have in these, you know, metropolitan areas like the Bay Area that are full of Filipinos.
0: It's very different. But at the end of the day, it's like it's such a huge process to just go about because like it's not something that really comes. um, It's not something that happens overnight. It's like it's still a constant thing. And I see that in your writing and how you like you're able to embody that.
1: Yes, I think so. And it's, you know, and a lot of it, too, is just being able to get to this place where um, you feel comfortable writing what you want to write, how you want to write it. Um, you know, I, I, I did come from an MFA program in poetry where I was the only Filipina in the entire poetry program in San Francisco, you know, which is ironic and weird. Um, so it was like, how do I write filipino centric work in a place where nobody gets where I'm coming from? And, you know, not just what I want to write, but how I want to write is, is uh, well, it's foreign to them. So I need to, you know, either just... Um, you know, be comfortable with what I'm doing and find a way to be comfortable to continue doing it. Or I give in and I do the thing that all of my colleagues are doing because it's easier than having to fight all the time. So, you know, that's it's uh, definitely, yeah, it's definitely something that is a process and it is uh, work. And I think that the work is rewarding. Um,
0: and I'm assuming from your writing and everything, you've embraced the, the previous, you've been more comfortable with writing the way you feel like you should be writing and everything, right?
1: I think so, yeah. And I have to tell you too, the more I've, I've, I've been finding out that the more specific I am with my work, the more Penai specific I feel my work is, the more readers from all kinds of other places are able to actually tap in it and find value and meaning in it for them. And that is interesting. That is not something I had anticipated would happen. I never thought other people outside of my own community would actually read the work and receive it well. Um, and that came from my saying, "I'm just—I need to just write it like this, you know, the way that I would write it for my community or for my family, right."
0: Isn't that so wild to to hear yourself saying that? Like, did you think you were going to be at this point where you're saying that, like, in terms of writing?
1: No, I really didn't. And actually, like, um, I had had um, a lot of people, you know, tell me their horror stories of being not just the only Filipino, but the only brown person in their writing programs, and that it was hell trying to, (laughs) you know, trying to write stuff that was important to them, and that was coming from you know, their own family histories or, you know, whatever. And I've had other people say to me, oh, I hear that writing program- programs are really more like writing programs. And it um, and was disheartening. So I always kind of thought, well, crap, it sounds like I have to choose. But then I realized when I chose not to choose and it was like, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do this. So, yeah, you're right. I never did think that I'd be in this kind of place. But here it is, so I'm I'm excited.
0: <laughs> Since you did mention the whole like writing thing, or like how the stories of other people saying that, um, what kind of advice? Oh, this is the last question, by the way. How uh-huh. how do how does one truly make their writing theirs? Because you've you've seemed to m- been able to make that after like a long time, but how does mm-hmm. someone feel like, or how does someone achieve that? How do, how can they make their writing their own?
1: Um, Well, I would, I'll start with a couple of don'ts and then I will continue with the do's, but don't try to sound like other people, right? Don't let other people tell you how you should sound. Um, Write your own story and pay attention to your own voice. What is specific and unique about your own voice, about your own family history right? What is the most important thing for you to write? Don't write a thing because other people are writing about something that is sexy or timely or, you know, whatever. Just write what is most important to you. And um, I feel like, you know, the more kind of heart you put into that, the better the work is going to be Um, because you aren't trying to sound like the next fill in the blank with somebody's name who's really hot right now you're not trying to be that person you are just saying I need to work on my own stuff I need to work on my own story you know this is a tribute that I have for my mother father grandparents sisters brothers etc you know this is this is ours and this is, you know, I'm going to do it this way. And I, I realize, again, I, I always say these things and I realize it is easier said than done. But I guess I should also say that, um, you know, I mean, this has been a decades long journey, right, for me. Um, so it's not going to happen overnight and you are going to get a lot of naysayers and people who are like, man, what is this? Right. And you have to learn, you have to learn how to really calibrate your filters and find out what kind of criticism is valid criticism that is only helping you grow. And what kind of criticism is really just Haterade that is just noise and you need to learn how to distance yourself from it. So it takes a very long time and a lot of hard work, but I feel as though, you know, once you really commit to it, then you will start to see the rewards. Of that. Um, but yeah, you, you only you can write the thing that is meant for you to write. You know, Other people will jump on a topic because it is the thing to write about, but you don't have to do that.
0: Mm, so essentially just em- embrace the self because that's what's really most important about writing because you won't be able to put out the best kind of work that you're capable of if you're trying to do something that anyone else is trying or something that everyone else is trying to do. Right.
1: I think so. Right. I mean, unless it is something that is very important to you, then what is your particular take on the thing? I think we're going to see a lot of pandemic work come out soon. So how is it specific to you? Right. Um, We know all of the news and fake news and the data and, you know, other people's stories out there that we're seeing blasted all over social media. But what is your, what is unique about this for you right from that place? You know? So yeah, that's, that is what I, I think. Um, and the same thing happened similarly after 9 11, right? I was in my first semester of grad school when 9 11 happened. And, you know, I started to see people banging out all kinds of work about, you know, 9 11 and the aftermath of, but they were writing from places that just sounded like they were just pulling from the news and from other people. And I thought, okay, but how has it affected you? How is it important to you? what about this is important to you, right? So um, so that would always be my advice. What about this thing is the most important thing for you that you need to say it and only you are able to.
0: Honestly, I, I really love that advice and I need to start taking that to heart as someone okay. that writes as well. Like, I, I feel like I'm still growing in my process too, but yeah, I really appreciate uh, that and everything
1: and Good. that being
0: said, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, what were you going to say?
1: No, no, no. I'm just, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad I could be of 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 help.
0: <laughs> and I'm really hoping that people will will take that to heart too, because this is that's really important advice that uh, a lot of people need to take, not just in writing, but just like in, just life in general. It's like, yeah. you just got to be like, your aunt that thinks and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and that being said, I know you have a book coming out, um, Letters to a Young Brown Girl, coming out September 26th. Where can uh, people find that?
1: Um, well, let's see. Letters to Young Brown Girl is coming out in September. Um, it is being published by Boa Editions. So it is going to be available on their website. I believe it's already up now. Boa, B-O-A, editions.com, um, I think. Um, find it at your local independent bookstore. Uh, bookshop.org is a good place to go. Find it there. Um and yeah, support the small businesses. Um, It is on Amazon. um, If you absolutely must be buying from Amazon, but um, I am a strong supporter of independent publishing, you know, who are the folks who have supported me throughout my publishing career. And uh, I am a strong supporter of independent community bookstores. So um, locally, folks like Eastwind Books, which is an Asian American APIA bookstore in Berkeley, Archipelago Bookstore in San Francisco, and uh, on their websites, it will be available there. And of course, City Lights Books, which is like my favorite bookstore in the whole universe in San Francisco, it will be available there as well.
0: Mm, personally, I'm going to get mine from Archipelago. Shout out to Lily if you're listening to this. Nice.
1: Hi, Lily. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and where can everyone else find your work as well?
1: Um, well, my website is barbarajanereyes.com. I try my best to put up links to um, my works that are published in online venues Um I'm a little behind right now um, and then I, you know, I'm on social media too. So if you find me there every once in a while, I'll be posting up, you know, uh, places where my work is, uh, you know, is being featured. Um, yeah.
0: And am I, okay, uh, um, what was the, what was your IG again?
1: Oh, uh, in, let's see. B-Jane PR, B-J-A-N-E-P-R.
0: Um, Make sure to follow up with Barbara and all her... Social media platforms and all of her websites, and make sure to get her book when it comes out. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.
1: Thanks, Thanks. so much.